The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. The Bible tells us in verse 32 about Simon that he was uh, a Cyrenian, and he was one born at Cyrene on the north coast of Africa. So if you're not familiar with the geography, it would have been on the northern coast uh, of Africa. The Bible calls him in the book of Acts in chapter number 13, he was called Niger. That is, he had a Latin name tagged onto him. And, and the word Niger means black. And so this is a man from Africa. Uh, he's, he's a black man. Uh, and that's what the Bible tells us about him. Um, and uh, the city of Cyrene, where he was from, it was originally founded by the Greeks uh, on the North African coast as part of uh, what we call now Libya. And so if you want to be familiar with the area now, what we call, it's, uh, it's called Libya. And the city was built on a, uh, uh, just a 800 feet above uh, the sea level uh, patch of land. And, and although it was a Greek city, it was, it was home to a very large colony of Jews. Uh, Jews had settled there in that area. And uh, these would have been like Hellenist Jews. Um, and that's where that nickname comes from as, as far as Niger and uh, this, was, uh, uh, this home of Jews were wealthy. They were influential enough to have a synagogue of their own in, in Jerusalem. And so we remember that. And uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention this man's name. He was uh, really, uh, as we look at the Gospels, we see him again and again in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Again, he's not mentioned in John. But uh, number one tonight, I want to talk about the conscript, the conscript, uh, the conscript. And, and the word conscript literally means somebody who's been... Uh, enrolled or commissioned uh, or uh, just uh, uh, asked to do something and commanded in this case, and uh, that's often what that means. It's more uh, more like a calling rather than a, an option. And um, this man uh, from Africa uh, and Jesus, the Son of God, meet here in Jerusalem. And uh, this this uh, this is an interesting meeting because. Simon is there watching the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He's watching as they beat him. He's there in the crowd. He would have uh, come to assemble and to worship at Jerusalem. And uh, he, uh, Jesus had gone through a lot during that week. He'd uh, commissioned his disciples to make ready for the Passover. And, and then he prayed for them. He'd gone to Gethsemane to weep. Uh, and uh, Judas had come. He had, he had uh, betrayed Jesus. He was arrested. He was carried off uh, to a preliminary hearing before Annas and Caiaphas and uh, he had seen Pilate, and uh, Jesus was there, and uh, they had led him after all these things away to be crucified. And his cross, uh, speaking of the cross, because this is what Simon bore, was a heavy piece of, of rough-hewn timber. It had been given to him to carry to Calvary. And uh, thinking about Jesus uh, and how he would have been scourged and how he would have been beaten and, and the pain that he would have endured and the physical torment uh, that he was under, um, he was really told to, to, to drag this thing up to Golgotha, and it was called the place of the skull. And we can kind of see this, this sad procession as Jesus uh, walks along the path there in Jerusalem. And, and there was two thieves with Jesus that were in between there, and, and the soldiers uh, and the centurions are there, and they're clearing a path through the crowd, and they're walking through the city streets, headed up, up to Golgotha, headed up to Calvary. And there's a mixed multitude that's there. There's the priests, there's the rulers, uh, there's uh, the, the general crowd of, of people, and they're uh, wagging their heads, and they're making him the butt of their, their jokes, if you would, and, and they're mocking him, and they're spitting on him, the Bible says, as he's going there. And this was kind of a part of the processional that the, uh, 
the uh, Roman citizens would do as part of the, the path to execution. And uh, there were also there uh, daughters of Jerusalem. They were weeping. They were distressed. And the streets in the city, if you can picture it, they're narrow and the sun's hot. And, uh, and really, Jesus, as far as his um, strength in his body, has, is reaching its breaking point. It's reaching uh, its end, and, and he falls. Uh, carrying his cross, he falls, and, and uh, you know, not all the blows and the curses of the soldiers, the scoffing uh, or the ridicule of the mob uh, really were the reason for all these things, but we understand that Jesus had a plan in everything that he did, and I believe that there was a purpose and a plan because even Jesus on the road to Calvary was about to save a man. He was about to uh, convert. He was about to win a man to himself. And uh, here, uh, Simon was pulled from the crowd. They're looking for someone. That he's eyeing the crowd. And, and you think about all the people that they could have pulled from the crowd. We know that this was not a random selection. We know that this was not just somebody that they just grabbed from the crowd. And, and the Jews were there, and they were all riled up. And, and the centurion was kind of at his wit's end. And he saw, uh, he saw this man uh, coming into the city. He was coming in. They were going out. He was alone. He probably didn't have a lot of friends. He was an outsider. He was out of his own country. He was there in a, in a place and probably looked different than the rest of the people that were there and so probably stuck out in the crowd. And uh, Simon uh, was on his way himself to Jerusalem. That was the reason for him coming. He probably had high hopes. He was going to celebrate the Passover feast with the people that were there. And uh, you think about the cross and, and, and what Jesus was bearing and the purpose that he had for Simon. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Simon finds himself kind of in the middle of something that he didn't want to be a part of. Um, Simon's an outsider. He's not from that area. He would already been disoriented. It would already been strange for him to be watching this, this whole process as the Romans uh, were, were bringing these three men. And, and I doubt that, that Simon probably knew much about any of the men that were there of the three. And uh, it was Jesus who they were uh, compelling for him to carry the cross. And, and really, it was compelled at the point of a spear and a sword for him to get his shoulder underneath that cross and to pick it up and, and to carry it. And the text says that he was coming out of the country. And uh, he, was, he was telling us, it was telling us that he was uh, coming really out of a field. Uh, it talks about um, the time frame that's here. The time was really... Uh, shortly before 9 o'clock in the morning. And um, really, if you think about all the things that are going on around us, it's kind of confusing uh, a place to be in. Uh, he hears uh, a centurion, a soldier, yell at him. <laughs> you, you carry the cross. You, you pick it up. Uh, you, you carry this for him. Pick up that cross. And with their high-handed ways of dealing with um, conquered peoples, the Romans kind of just did what, whatever they wanted to do. They picked whoever they wanted to do whatever they wanted them to do. As a matter of fact, it was against the law for the Jews to decline uh, for, for a Roman to say, you need to do something. They couldn't say no. They had, to, they had to acquiesce to whatever it is that they wanted. There was no room for debate. Simon saw the face of Jesus. And if, if you remember what the Bible says about Jesus, he was beaten, he was marred, uh, and he didn't even have his visage. He didn't even look like a man, the Bible says. And, um, but I wonder if he could see his eyes. I wonder when he looked into the eyes of Jesus what he saw. And the Bible tells us this about when people came in contact with Jesus, it, it, it had a, a change, a changing effect on them. 
I mean, he knew there was something different about this man. He knew there was something. It wasn't the eyes of a criminal that he saw. It wasn't the eyes of, of someone that, um, that deserved to be there, if you would. And, and uh, as, he, as he looked at Jesus, I wonder if Jesus' eyes uh, said thank you to him for picking up that cross and, and for bearing it for him. And, and I think of a couple of things as you think about this, this, this command that he was under, that he had to carry the cross. The first thing is, is that he was probably embarrassed. I mean, he was prob- probably embarrassed. I mean, you think to be a foreigner in a country that wasn't your own already, and then to be called out of a crowd, randomly selected, if you would, and I'm sure that it had something to do with the fact that he looked foreign and he looked alone and he looked like somebody who uh, wasn't there for any other purposes. And so they kind of just grabbed him and said, this is the man uh, that's going to do the job. And he was probably embarrassed. I mean, think about it. Uh, He didn't deserve to carry a cross. He hadn't committed any crimes. He was there of his own free will. And and, uh, there they're, they're asking him to carry a cross. And only criminals were crucified. So uh, he, he goes to carrying this cross, and, and listen, think about it, as he, as he passed by other people, they probably made no difference between him and the rest of the criminals, because he was carrying a cross. So he just looked like another criminal. So here's an innocent man that's put in a criminal's position, and all the, the, the insults that are being hurled, he's now becoming the object of. He's now the center of attention as he's walking next to a man who's beaten so terribly that he can barely walk himself. And he's being dragged away as he, he drags this cross, he carries this cross. And, and crucifixion was not only a terribly uh, painful death, it was a shameful death. It, it was a death where uh, the purpose was embarrassment. The, the purpose was uh, to mock and ridicule. The, the purpose was to completely humiliate them. Uh, that's why they stripped them naked. That's, that's why they did what they did to them and, and in the ways that they did things to them. And really, there was a, a terrible uh, a stigma associated with the cross. And uh, supposing someone he knew saw him, it would, he would be ident- identified immediately with that cross. And uh, he put his shoulders beneath that hated instrument of death, and as a deep flush of shame probably crept in, in really his countenance and his face, he I mean, can you see the embarrassed look on his face? Why me? Why do I have to carry this cross? Why to be selected? Why, why out of the crowd would I be chosen, if you would? And uh, little did he think then that for the rest of his life, he would look back on this incident, and this would be a memory that he would cherish forever. I mean, think about this. This is the man that bore Jesus' cross. This is the man that helped Jesus in the time of need, in his greatest hour of need. This was a man that came to Jesus' aid. And I know that he was commanded to do it. He didn't have much say in it. But later on, I believe he appreciated the fact that he was was selected by God to do this task. That he was selected by the Lord, not the the centurions, not the the Romans, but by God himself to to carry this cross. And and by the way, forever commemorized in scriptures. We have his name. It's, it's told to us about this, what happens. And we're going to look at later how much uh, of an impact this house has on him. And uh, here he's carrying the cross for Christ, who in a little while, think about this, was going to die on that cross for him. Jesus was going to die on that cross for him. And he was carrying the cross for Jesus. He was doing that for Jesus 
He was doing what he could do for Jesus, and Jesus was about to do for him what he could not do for himself. And what an awesome thing to think about. He was, he was with the cross. What does the cross do for us? It identifies us with Christ, doesn't it? When we carry our cross, we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the reason for the jewelry? Isn't, I mean, isn't that supposed to be the real reason why we wear crosses? We're supposed to wear a cross to identify with Christ. And we know uh, we wear an empty cross because we know Jesus isn't on the cross. Jesus is alive. And uh, that's one of the reasons for the cross. It's why we have the cross here. Why? Because we're identifying with who? With a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And again, it's a symbol of hope today uh, because of Christ. But uh, I think at this time, he didn't understand all of those things. I think he was just simply embarrassed. How about you? I mean, just embarrassed to have to do this. Not only was he embarrassed, but he was probably embittered. I mean, you think about uh, the fact that uh, he probably felt like he was, there was prejudice that was involved in his selection. He, he probably thought that, there was, that this was not, no random selection. I mean, think about the fact that he was a foreigner, and so he would have looked different than the people that were there, and they probably selected him. One of the reasons why they selected him is because he looked different than the rest of the people uh, that, that were there in the crowd. And, and really, all the jeers and the mob uh, were directed towards him, and he was the one carrying the cross. The criminals carried the cross, and he now is carrying the cross. I mean, think about this. Um, hatred of Rome and all the things of, of Roman things probably uh, gnawed at his soul. I mean, he didn't want to be associated with the Romans. He didn't, he didn't want to be seen in this crowd, in this place, doing this thing. He hated the arrogance of Rome. Uh, he hated, really, the force of the Roman government there, the people of that country that would make him do something against his rights, against his freedom. I mean, against uh, who he was as a human being. I mean, this was something that was, was something that was a hateful thing for them to ask him to do. And uh, Simon, I, I wonder, as you, you see him walking to Calvary's, sweating. He would catch a glimpse of Jesus. And by now, he would know who he was because he would have heard the name. They would have been crying out. They would have been shouting it. These were the crowd. This was the crowd. Remember, they, they said, give us Barabbas. They said, what would we do with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. And, and boy, they used the term when it came to Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. It was a derogatory term for them. Nazareth was not a place that they, uh, that they loved. It was a, it was a, it was a look down upon place. And, uh, you know, here, Jesus of Nazareth, he'd hear stories perhaps while he was there in Jerusalem about this Jesus. And people said he was the Messiah. People said he could heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, raise the dead. People said he could multiply loaves and fishes. He could steal the, steal the storm, storm and walk upon the wild sea. So why was this man who he had heard all these rumors about that the country had spoken about and talked about? And by the way, the Bible says in all the country people knew about Jesus. I mean, news about Jesus, he was headline news. I mean, he was front page news both to the Jews and to the Romans now. Pilate has gotten involved, and, and he would have heard about this man. And uh, why was he going to Calvary? Why was a man with this reputation, why was he there? Why, why a cross? Why Calvary? Why was his face so marred uh, more than any other man's? I mean, when the Bible says that, I mean, I take that literally, the, the way Jesus would have looked. And uh, his form more than the sons of men, perhaps at the thought of Isaiah 53, leaped in his mind. I mean, he's a, a 
Hellenist Jew from that, from that area, and so he would have known the Old Testament scriptures, if you would. And uh, so, step by step, Simon makes his way unwillingly to Calvary. And uh, he's on his way, and, and really, on the way, somewhere along the way, and perhaps when he arrived, uh, Simon the conscript became something else. And uh, number two, we're going to look at tonight the convert, the convert. Because we know from the scriptures that Simon becomes a Christian. And uh, his conversion happens along the way someplace or at Calvary or shortly after. And uh, they come to the hill and uh, Simon puts down the cross and he quickly, as embarrassed and bitter that he was, kind of disappears into the crowd. And I think you would have too is for fear that they were going to nail him to the cross or or perhaps uh, throw him up there with the rest of them. Maybe somebody made a mistake and think he was one of the criminals. I'm sure there was fear involved that was here. I'm sure he wanted to get as far away from this scene as he could. And, and, um, but he waits. He waits to see what would happen. We know that he became a convert of the, um, Jesus Christ. And what would be more reasonable than his really standing well back in the crowd, lingering at Calvary to look and listen, wanting to know what was going to happen. And I wonder tonight as we, as we just kind of ponder this, because what would happen if we were there? I mean, if you were lost and you were there and you were seeing what Simon was seeing, don't you think that it would touch you, that it would move you, that it would have an impact on you? We know that it did on him, as the Bible tells us. But number one, I believe he was touched by the sufferings. He was touched by the, the sufferings. And... Uh, the kind of sufferings that the prophet Isaiah spoke about, David spoke about in Psalm 69. They, they pierced his hands and his feet. The Romans were always crucifying people. This was not a, a, a new thing. This was not something that um, people had not seen before. Uh, this was the method of them taking care of uh, the criminals there. And there were two common criminals that were crucified that very morning. One hung on either side of Jesus and um, if Simon read Pilate's sign, it said what? Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's what they put on the sign. As a matter of fact, the Jews hated that they put that on there. They didn't want that on there. They, they wanted that, but in three different languages. They wrote that on the placard above. And by the way, there's nothing that's written above the criminals. Just they did that with Jesus. They put him right dead center between the two criminals and they put that placard there. The king of the Jews. I wonder if he thought about that. The king of the Jews. The Bible calls us to think about it. It, it tells us about it. It tells us why uh, that it was there. And uh, he probably heard Jesus. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Listen, uh, Simon was having a hard enough time forgiving them for what they made him do. Let alone Jesus in the position that he was in. He hears uh, uh, mocking, he hears jeering, he hears, he hears these criminals cursing and crying out. And, and from Jesus, what do we hear from him? We hear, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And surely further, Jesus separates himself from the, the, the other two that are there, and he must have been astonished. Simon had not prayed like that a while ago, you know, when he fo- was forced to carry the cross, Father, forgive them. As a matter of fact, he didn't forgive them. He had a, he had a hard time even with the task. And, and here, Jesus is praying. He's praying and begging forgiveness for his enemies. 
He's asking for forgiveness for the people who are crucifying him. And, uh, you know, this was not a, a couple minutes execution. This was something that lasted for hours. And people stood there for hours and watched these men suffer uh, on the cross. And he heard the two thieves turn their mocking to Jesus. And then the one thief changed his mind. And he rebuked the other thief. And he addressed Jesus and he says, Today, Jesus says to him, he says, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He heard Jesus perhaps ask for a drink and saw them give him vinegar. And, uh, you know, I wonder, as someone that knew the Old Testament, I wonder if he could have read in Psalm 69, they gave me vinegar to drink. I mean, undeniable, undeniable. You, you read the Old Testament, you see undeniable details of what they did with Jesus on the cross, and not a bone of him was broken. They gave him vinegar to drink when he asked uh, for his lips, his parts, lips to be um, satisfied. And, and Simon really probably closed his ears to all the, the, the jeers and all the things that were being said around him. And I wonder if he thought about Isaiah 53. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief and his heart was troubled. So I believe that he was touched by the sufferings. But number two, I, I believe he was probably troubled by the signs. Strange things began to happen at Calvary, didn't they? I mean, the sky black. I mean, strange stuff was happening. I mean, I mean, uh, for anyone to think that this was an ordinary day, they, they would have had to close their eyes and, and not pay attention. And it was as it was though nature had found a, a voice in itself to protest against the murder of Jesus. And uh, it was groaning, travailing, was crying out. Remember that the very rocks will cry out if we won't, the Bible tells us. The heavens declare the glory of God. Because the rocks were crying out, weren't they? The Bible says they broke. The earth quaked and the stones broke one way and another. And, and there was a shaking. There was a terrifying earthquake. And someone brought word that the veil of the temple had been torn in two. I mean, think about all this stuff that's happening as, as Jesus dying on the cross. How, how, could, how could someone think that this was not all connected? I mean, just to think that they're killing Jesus and all this stuff is going on that the Bible's telling us. And it's, it's high noon... And it becomes darker than the blackest midnight. The sun disappears. It goes dark. The light is gone. Uh, and they're, they're convinced, you know, about that this man is different than anybody else that they had ever seen before. I mean, think about the man that stood back, the centurion that was there and said, surely this was the son of God. Surely this. Why? Why? Because he was there. He, he was an eyewitness account of his death. Even the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross. Why the preaching of the cross? Because the cross speaks volumes, doesn't it? Because of what happened at the cross uh, uh, made a difference. And, and then there was a, a shout from Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't die exhausted as a victim of crucifixion. He died with a shout conqueror. He gave up the ghost. You know, he didn't, he didn't pass out. He didn't die because he was so weak his body couldn't uh, bear anymore. He gave up. Jesus said, nobody takes my life. Nobody takes my life. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. Now, people don't usually die that way. Jesus died. He shouted. He shouted out when he died. He cried out. He died with a shout of a conqueror. He, 
dismissed his spirit. He bowed his head. He died on his own accord. That's what the Bible tells us. He gave up. He died on his own. Um, and then, the, you know, the news must have come from all over the country of all the mysterious things that were happening. I mean, think about what was happening in other parts of the country. The Bible says that the graveyards and the cemeteries were bursting open, and the dead were walking. And the three days later, many bodies of the saints that slept in those tombs arose and came out of their graves and, and went into the city and appeared unto many. Simon the Cyrenian was troubled by the signs. I mean, think about it. Talk, talk about Halloween. I mean, that was, that's a scary time. All the stuff that happened uh, and all the things that are surrounding the, the crucifixion. But not only was he troubled by the signs, but uh, we see in the Bible that he was transformed by the Savior. He was transformed by the Savior. Uh, people left... Calvary, Golgotha that day, and uh, they were beating their breasts. They were, they were dumbfounded with what they had experienced as the, the centurions and the soldiers left there confessing Jesus, confessing Christ. I mean, there was nobody that was there that could, I mean, even the thief, think about it, the thief that's dying on the cross next to Jesus confesses Jesus. I mean, you think of all the things you'd be focused on in your own torture. He's thinking of Jesus. He's thinking of the Savior. He knows that Jesus can save. He admits it before he dies, that Jesus can save him. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take a stand for Jesus. They ask for his body. And um, they take him and they bury him. And, you know, sometime between... That period of time in Pentecost, when Peter stood up and preached Jesus and the Holy Spirit came, Simon was saved. He trusted Christ as a Savior. I, I don't know when it happened. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't think that he walked away from Calvary thinking that this man was like any other man. I think he understood, began to understand all of the things that, that this man was saved. He would go home to his wife and children. He said, I carried the cross for him. He died on the cross for me. It brings us to a new man, and I want to look lastly tonight at Simon the Christian. Simon the Christian. We have uh, no way of knowing, but we can think of how much Simon really understood that day. I want you to go to Acts chapter number 13 tonight. Acts chapter number 13, because in addition to Mark, there's, there's a place in the book of Acts that mentions Simon. This is where we uh, understand that Simon uh, not only became a Christian, but became active in the local New Testament church. Acts chapter number 13. And look at verse number 1. The Bible tells us, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. So we see Simeon that was called Niger, which is the same Simeon that carried the cross of Jesus. Notice him and Lucius of Cyrene. So it's the same Simeon of Cyrene. And this is that same man, Simon of Cyrene. And, and that they've been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Verse number two, notice, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Who, who's, who's ministering to the Lord and fasting? It's these men in this list. Simeon's among them. Simon's among them. He He's one of the men that's fasting, ministered to the Lord. The Holy Ghost said to them, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, if you think about this, Paul has not become Paul yet. He's still Saul. Saul had, has, has just now 
being accepted into the early church. Remember, they, they were afraid to bring Saul in. They were afraid to fellowship with him. They were afraid because he had persecuted the church. And uh, God had saved, miraculously saved Saul. And uh, God speaks to this group at Antioch. And by the way, Antioch was the first place where people were called Christians. It was the first place anybody was ever called a Christian. It was at Antioch. It's this group that was first called Christians. So when we talk about Simon being a Christian, he was the, one of the first in the group that was even called a Christian. And they were known for their faith in Christ. They were known for their testimony. And here uh, they're praying and, and they're fasting and they're asking God for direction. And the Holy Spirit tells these men to separate Saul and Barnabas. And... Uh, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, notice they laid hands on them and they sent them away. They, they, they were the first to send missionaries. They were the first to, they selected Saul and Barnabas and they sent them out of the local New Testament church, out of the church that was at Antioch. And Paul went on his first missionary journey. He went first to, to plant the, the first church outside of this place, outside of Antioch. And, uh, you know, this is an amazing thing. I mean, if you think about it, how... Not only did Simon become a Christian, but Simon was, was a worker for the Lord. He was in ministry. I mean, he was a preacher of the gospel. He was someone that God was using mightily. As a matter of fact, he's one of the men that God used to lay hands on Paul and Barnabas. Think about all that Paul and Barnabas did. They had a part in that. They had a part in those labors. They had a part in that sending. They had a, what a sweet time that must have been at that church at Antioch as they selected, not even knowing what God was going to do with Saul and Barnabas. But we know God used them mightily, didn't he? And here we see Simon that's there, and God uses, God uses him in this, in this selection and in, in, in choosing them out. And uh, the gospel took root. It spread throughout all Judea. It spread throughout Palestine. It took root in Samaria. Notice they're following Jesus' plan. He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. And uh, Saul was saved, the bitterest enemy of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas announced that God had called them to uh, the mission work to go into the uttermost parts of the world because they had already reached those areas. They had already reached Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. By the way, the, the, New Test- the, the first century church obeyed the Great Commission. They, they, they reached the known world for Christ. They, they went to all the places. I mean, you look at the uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs and see how some of the disciples even went further than what even we think about, they, them going into Asia and going in different places where there were uncharted places where people had never been. And, and Paul and Barnabas gave themselves wholeheartedly to that work. And souls were saved and the church was growing and, and the teaching was inspired. And, and Paul goes to this uh, mission p- field and, and untold millions uh, hear the gospel as a result of, of Paul's work. And uh, if you think about this, uh, two of the seven elders in the church were from Cyrene. Two. Now, who do you think reached the other one from Cyrene? I mean, think about it with me. I mean, just think logically with me of who would have went back to his home country and brought Lucius with him to serve there in that place, going back to Antioch. I mean, it was another man that was there. One of them was named Simon. He was also called, nicknamed Niger. He was a black man, and many agree that it was the very Simon who had carried the cross for Christ. I mean, there's one more thing in connection with Paul. We think of uh, Simon uh, and his family. When Mark wrote his gospel, he mentioned Simon the Cyrenian, and um, he talked about him as, as if people would have just been familiar with his name. 
The early church would have been familiar with this man. They would have known him because they knew him personally. And uh, he, he talks about him in Mark 15, 21. He says, the father of Alexander and Rufus. I want you to, to turn to Romans 16, Romans chapter number 16, because Paul writes in the book of Romans about uh, his family. And I want you to see Romans chapter number 16 tonight. In verse number 13. Now remember in Mark 15, he talks about Simon as the father of Alexander and Rufus. In Romans 16, verse number 13, Paul gives a greeting. He, he asks them, the church there, to salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So Simon is the father of Rufus. So who would Rufus's mother be? Rufus's mother would be Simon's wife. So Simon's wife was also a Christian that was involved, and, and, and Paul actually talks about Simon's wife as being one of his spiritual mothers, one of, the, one of the women that had an impact on his life, one of the women that ministered to him, one of the many women that he mentions in the Scriptures, by the way, that had an impact on his life. I mean, I talk about where we think Simon to be so obscure, but then we see where the Bible tells us, specifically in Mark 15, who Simon was the father of, and then mentions in, in Romans 16, again, the same group of people. So we see something about Simon. Simon didn't just trust Christ for himself. He won his wife to Christ. He won his children to Christ. He, he went and sent missionaries to other parts. He was active in the church. Simon was a changed man. Simon was a Christian. I mean, he knew the Lord, and he served the Lord. And we think about Simon and his family, and you think about how he probably could, could never have tired telling his wife and his children how he bore the cross for Jesus, how he carried the cross for Jesus. I mean, could you imagine if, what kind of impact it would have had on your life? after you realized who Jesus was, after you found out he was the Savior of the world, after you found out he was the Messiah, that, that God was so gracious and merciful to Simon that he selected him from that crowd, that he, he on that day called him out of darkness into his marvelous light, that he was, was, was privileged to have any part at all in the crucifixion of Christ, not in, not in a, a terrible way, but in a wonderful way, that he actually helped Jesus, that he, that he carried that cross. And... Um, I mean, I don't think you would have tired of telling that story. And uh, we, can, we can think how Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Simon uh, would have amen that. But we're not quite finished as we close tonight. Among the Roman Christians whom the Apostle Paul sent greetings, we, we read here in Romans 16, he talks about both him and his mother... Rufus and his mother, it seems to be the wife of Simon the Cyrenian, his mother and mine, Paul says. And uh, think about Paul as, as he had lost everything for Christ and how when father and mother forsake thee, the Bible says the Lord will take you up. And how many spiritual parents Paul had, women that ministered to him in, in the faith and really just kind of 100-fold works out at 10,000%. Paul had given up his mother for the cause of Christ, so the Lord provided him with 10,000 mothers all over the world. He'd given up, if you would, all of his background. Those things that he counted gain, he, he, uh, he just counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the mother of Rufus, the wife of Simon, 
was one of the women that ministered to Paul. So not only did God use Simon to to choose, select, and pray over Saul and Barnabas, but God also used his wife to minister to Paul in his missionary journeys. And so I wonder tonight as we just kind of reflect on Simon, and I know that we don't have a ton, ton of Scripture, but the Scriptures that we have are just undeniable about how God used him. And it was a good day for Simon when he picked up that cross, wasn't it? And uh, I, I would tell you tonight that it would be a good day for you when you do the same. Because Jesus calls us to discipleship, doesn't he? He says that we can't follow him except daily, daily we take up our cross. Daily we take up our cross and follow him. Um, to be a Christian means to follow Jesus, doesn't it? means to be a follower of Christ. We don't go to Jerusalem necessarily and follow in his journey in every step, although that would be a wonderful thing to do. But we know when the Bible talks about following Jesus, it's talking about the way he lived. It's talking about what he did. It's talking about how he acted. It's talking about how he treated others uh, that we're supposed to follow in his steps, that we're supposed to follow his life. And we know that Paul said that I might know him and the power of his what? His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. See, every Christian that comes to Jesus and follows Jesus has a cross to bear. It's the truth. Where uh, false gospels are promising Christians no cross, we understand that it's not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ promises every follower of Jesus a cross. And that's the promise that we have in Christ, that we have a cross to bear, but we will not bear it alone, you see. Jesus didn't bear his cross alone, and we will not bear our cross alone because he is in the yoke with us, isn't he? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden, my burden is light. Burden is light in comparison to what? The sin burden you had before you met Jesus. The death that you were dragging around with you before Christ gave you life. And we know that in the world, we will have what? Tribulation. Uh, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is a trial. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny when, because I do it just like you do. It's kind of funny when we think that it's weird that we go through hardship. Especially when, if we read the Bible, if we really read the Bible, it promises us hardship. It's kind of funny when we're surprised when we go through difficulties and we have opposition. The Bible tells us, it promises us that we will have it. The Bible promises us that we will have trials. It tells us not to think it's strange when there's fiery trials at trials. But sometimes we act so surprised, and really it is because I think we're trying to follow Jesus on another path. Listen, one day we'll follow him on the path to heaven, won't we? We're, we're going to ascend as he ascended. Whether, uh, whether we do so from the grave or we do so uh, from our life, we know that he's coming back and we're going to ascend the way he ascended. Isn't that what the, the angels told the disciples? Why, why stand ye here idle? This same Jesus, he's coming in like manner. And by the way, he's going to bring us back with him. We understand that that's what's going to happen. By the way, that's the final journey, right? But the journey that we have with Jesus right now is an earthly journey. And the earthly journey Jesus had is the earthly journey that we're supposed to have. And there is the example that Jesus gave us. See, we are, we're anxious for that peaceful heavenly rest, and I am too. I, tr trust me, I'm, I'm ready to be done with this sin-sick world and, 
and, and body and all the things just like you are. But, but the truth of the matter is, is, tonight we're on the earth, aren't we? And we have to be on the earth like Jesus was on the earth. Jesus modeled that life for us. And we're supposed to pick up our cross because we have a cross to bear. And uh, a life of ease is not the Christian life. It's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a cross, and we're supposed to bear it. We're supposed to take it patiently. We're supposed to understand it's going to be difficult. We're supposed to understand that life is not going to be fair. Was it fair when they chose Simon? Was it, was it fair when he had to bear the cross? Was it, was it merited? Was it something that he, he should have gone through? No, these things were not fair, but God never promised fair to us. As a matter of fact, he says, Christians, you're not supposed to live in the fair life. You're supposed to live in the sanctified life. You're supposed to live in the empowered life, in the full of the Holy Spirit life, that when, you're, when your enemy is hungry, you feed him. When he's thirsty, you give him drink. That you're not overcome with evil, that you're overcome evil with good. That when you, you're reviled, you revile not again. When you suffer, when you suffer, you don't, you don't try to eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the world that we live in, but we're not supposed to live in the way of this world, are we? We're supposed to take up our cross. It's hard, it's hard to take up your cross and follow him. Jesus, when he said that, there was people that walked away. They walked away. When Jesus presented the cross to people, some of them went away sad, didn't they? Jesus turned to the disciples and said, will you also go away? I wonder what our response is to Jesus. I know sometimes we say, well, I'll do it. I'll take up my cross. But then we, we run into the first roadblock of life, and we run away. And we get angry, we get upset because life is hard and life is difficult. Listen, uh, the truth of the matter is tonight, there's not a one of us that's in the room that doesn't have a burden tonight. Let's just be honest. And we would be foolish to go around the room and say, my burden's heavier than your burden, your burden's heavier than my That would be a foolish thing to do. As a matter of fact, we don't come together tonight knowing that no one has a burden. We come together tonight knowing everyone has a burden. Sometimes we come together thinking we're the only ones. Well, nobody's going through what I'm going. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> you know, nobody knows what I'm going. Listen, you're not the first one to go through what you're going through tonight. You are not the first one, and neither am I. I'm not the first one to go through what I'm going through tonight. And the Bible says we're to take it patiently, and we're to reveal to this lost world resurrection power. Resurrection power. That we can live godly in Christ Jesus even if we suffer persecution. That we can still live according to the word of God, even against opposition. That even if things that happen to us are hard and unfair, that God, God is with us. You believe that tonight? God is with you. And, uh, you know, that's what I want to really just sum this whole thing up with tonight. All of us have a cross to bear. But, you know, what a wonderful thing that God would bring us together we would bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. You know, all of us tonight, we all have a burden. You know, and, and some people, you never know what their burdens are because they don't tell anybody. And you know what? That's really what it ought to be like more than anything. We're not coming and, and all announcing and, and competing with who's having a harder time in life. But we are coming together and saying, hey, hey, Jesus is with us. So we don't need to complain. Oh, we, oh, we might go through difficulty we might go it, it's difficult listen weep with those that weep 
But we don't need to complain tonight. We should rejoice. We should rejoice. That's what the Bible says. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But when does it talk about joy? It talks about joy after it talks about tribulation. In other words, we're supposed to have joy in tribulation. What do you need strength for? You, need, you don't need strength if you're not bearing a cross. You need strength if you're bearing a cross. And joy is your strength. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus had joy in going to the cross. Jesus had joy. And so we're supposed to have joy when we bear our cross. And even though, listen, just like Simon tonight, I don't ever understand when I'm carrying it, why, or who for, or what purpose to, but I don't need to because it's a cross that the Lord is allowing me to bear. How about you? If Jesus is, isn't his way perfect? Come on, are you with me tonight? Isn't his way perfect? Listen, I, I didn't say that we never questioned him. I didn't say that we never had a hard time with what his way was. We all have. Let's be honest tonight. We've, we've all been there. We've all been to that point where we said, I just, I don't understand this. He knoweth the way that I, what? Take. And when I'm tried, I shall come forth as what? Gold. You know, he says, the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of peace to bring you to what? An expected end. He has expectations for you. He has plans for you. He has, he has good things for you. He has his purpose for you. Don't let the cross that you're bearing right now keep you from the rejoicing, keep you from the joy that's set before you. Don't we as Christians have great joy set before us? Heaven is our destination. And right now we're seated together in heavenly places and we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ and we're not going to hell tonight. How about that? We're not going to hell tonight. And there's no more condemnation. There's no more condemnation. And I know that life stinks sometimes. But God is always good, isn't he? He's always good. So take up your cross. Let's encourage each other tonight. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. It's worth it to bear the cross. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.